welcome to the football pod. My name is Konstantin Eckner, and please welcome with me my co-host, Abel Mezarosh. Hi, everyone. Hi, Konstantin. And today, what we want to do is have a discussion on football, media, and analytics. Now, you are probably familiar with all those subjects, but we wanted to bring you someone who works at the intersection of these, of these three and someone who... Um, asks uh, sort of the questions that data is, is usually asking, someone who writes about, let's say, interesting topics uh, such as crossing and, and whether we should do that in football, uh, expected goals, and somebody who has been doing this uh, basically for about six, seven years from his, his blog to Analytics FC to Opta. So please welcome Mr. Tom Warwill. Yeah, Tom, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no worries, guys. Great to, great to be here and great to chat with you. So th the first thing I wanted to ask you, because you joined The Athletic, when actually? Uh, February 2020, so just, just before the, uh, the world blew up, I guess, and uh, things got, got very weird. Yeah, so over a year, a little bit over a year, uh, you're at The Athletic. And, you know, The Athletic, they are putting out a lot of content. Of course, it's kind of the, the business model also, you know, having insights, insightful content, but also just having a lot of stuff on football and every other sports you can imagine. And, and, and you're, of course, in, uh, in the football section and doing a lot of great work. And that's why also we invited you because, of course, you're a great personality and, and a great writer. Uh, but I want to ask you because, I mean, you joined them as kind of, Kind of, and, and don't take it the wrong way. It's kind of the data geek. Yeah. And, and <laughs> like, how much can you still at the Athletic, which is a big corporation, big company with all these kinds of stuff they are covering, how much can you still embrace your data geek personality at the Athletic? Yeah, I guess I was very much bought in as uh, obviously analytics is a growing part of the game and the pro side of the media side and bought in to kind of offer that. So I'm probably um, encouraged to embrace that side of, um, of you know, my interests, my skill set and all of that stuff. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, room to um, to grow in terms of like doing pieces that are very data intensive that you probably couldn't do anywhere else at a publication of, of similar size. Um, and then also working with a bunch of writers who are, increasingly more and more data literate and interested in using this stuff as a different angle in their pieces so um i'd say yeah i'm it's a perfect fit in terms of you know what both i was looking for and also what kind of they they want from me is to uh i guess embrace the geekiness as you said there constantine <laughs> and, and and how much i mean there's there's also kind of the discussion uh you know how how does data in, in sports journalism, but in general, how, how does data fit the traditional journalism and print media? Of course, it's, it's, I think it's more difficult to just put a lot of data graphics and or the graphics uh, onto a, a print page, of course. And how much can you work with um, certain kinds of tools, you know, where it's interactive and stuff like that? This is also something you have, you have dipped into. Yeah, definitely. I guess, um, yeah print it's it's hard i mean we obviously we don't we don't do print and we or i guess for me i leaned a lot on seeing the stuff that john burr murdoch has probably you know grown at the ft for years and really made his own and and kind of dominated this space and been a leader of this space for a long time and we've seen the economists jump on board in a similar fashion so i take a lot of inspiration of how those guys have gone about using data and growing their kind of data data journalism side of things um but for us, you know, inter interactives and I mean, data is, is a lot of what I feel I, I bring and what myself and Mark Carey, who's another kind of recent addition, bring to the team. Um, and interactive, you know, is probably one of those things that is in the mid to long term, but you've 
I think of, you know, for us, it's an area definitely worthy of exploration. Um, the reason why it's those stuff's important is a static graphic, you have to manually update, whereas interactive stuff and you've got a fully worked backend and you build really beautiful user experiences like on 538 and other sites. Um, that's where I kind of see the future of, of this side of data journalism in the long run, definitely. Yeah, actually, that's something I, I want to kind of go back to in terms of, you know, we, I, we we jumped into this conversation in terms of what you do now, but but like, would you say it's, it's fair to say that, let's say five, six years ago, your role as a data journalist, certainly in football, wouldn't have existed? Is that a fair? Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I think that data journalism in general was quite, it, you know, in its infancy and um, the roles were far less defined as they were now. It was probably a bit of a, a wild west, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, you you mentioned the the, the people that I was going to bring up in terms of you know John Byrne Murdoch and, and some of these other other people like Nate Silver in that, in that space. Um, yeah. And how do you see like what do you see data journalism just as a more meta question? Um, because you know I think like the way a lot of people conceptualize this is is some and I, and I think you've talked about this as, as sort of a translator. And I think like Mike Mike Goodman is, is another another person who does this, who I think all, all of us know uh, fairly well. Uh, and the 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 need for this this person who uh, either like you builds models or is very comfortable in terms of you know coming up coming up with the coding and all that stuff, but also has the, the linguistic skills or the people skills or, or or what are those skills that I think you you need to be a successful data journalist? Yeah. Especially in a domain such as like football analytics, where um, you, yeah, the stuff is complex. It's not always the easiest thing to understand, but there is a an end audience who are interested and want to embrace this stuff. And I guess it's just helping them along that journey and helping them understand the various things, even if it's something as, as I mean, now it's basic. Expected goals five years ago it wasn't basic, right? And we still have people who are skeptics and and you know disconnect from what the name is and what the actual metric measures and measures and things like that. So, um, yeah, I guess my role, if I probably wasn't at the Athletic, I'd be doing the same sort of thing at a club, right? And that's just I'm probably just one of the few people who didn't go down the club route and went down the uh, the media route instead. Well, what's something that stands out for you or, or like what were some of the, the challenges or what do you see some of the, as the difficulties? Because I think, you know, um, as you mentioned, like, yeah, maybe the, the XG war has been won or, or however we want to uh, phrase that. Or maybe it's been lost if you're looking at it from another perspective. But like, what are some of the, the day to day things and um, not just necessarily like inside the, let's say, a newsroom or a company like that, but but, but just in terms of with, with the readers or people who consume your the content that you're putting out? Yeah, I guess it's just listening to listening to the readers and seeing if there's certain things that we're getting wrong or not explaining properly or or graphics we pull together which aren't quite clear so there's that kind of like you know read read the comments and we're lucky that we have a comment section at the athletic which is probably one of the friendlier um on the, on the internet um which is useful um and then another challenge i guess it's just it's probably the same for a lot of people it's it's allocation of of time and managing what's a good long-term project to focus on like this the recent crossing piece i did and then what's the other kind of quicker wins you can get in terms of you know our norwich writers doing something on max errands how can we supplement some data there to tell the story in a in a more objective fashion um alongside the white scout grabs or alongside kind of you know interviewing people and getting to know max's background so um yeah it's just uh, a lot of a lot of plate spinning at times but um yeah, it's uh, it's it's good good plate spinning. Hopefully for the reader, it's uh, it's interesting stuff to to get into as well. 
Now you mentioned that uh, a lot of people from the same sphere you are coming from have uh, joined clubs or work for federations and are basically in football and not in yeah. football media, uh, in you know, in some way or form. Um, so, what what would you tell aspiring data journalists uh, who are especially interested in sports in general, maybe football and you know especially, but but sports in general who are interested in going that route, who are might who might be now at uh, university. What what would you give them for advice uh, to you know to become a, a data journalist that doesn't have to be at the Athletic, but you know as a, as a reputable uh, media outlet. Yeah, I guess I'm always quite bad at offering or giving advice because I feel that, hey, you, sh you should never really take it from people who don't have, have skin in the game, I guess, and aren't really going to take that that journey with you. But I feel that my path kind of goes against what you probably should do. Like I specialized super early and I really doubled down on football and, and getting involved in football. And that could have easily not paid off, right? And then you've got all this time that you spent investing in this passion and it wouldn't have been really useful anywhere else. So I do think kind of... A generalization in terms of having the skills in, in data journalism to work with a multitude of data sets and using a different coding languages and building different kind of graphics or whatever it may be just being an all-rounder to start with and specialize later um, whereas for me I I got lucky in uh, and kind of the way I specialize so much and I hit this wave of football analytics and I was I was quite um, fortuitous in that uh, in that extent but um, yeah I think that would be my my main advice really. And so just in terms of the, the things that you have been doing recently for the athletic, I, I will, we'll get to the, the crossing one, but I think like one of, one of the pieces that um, maybe you're most famous for is, is the, the 10 commandments, which of, 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 you know, football stats, because like, I think um, it was, it was also like Mike Goodman who always has this, 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 this line where everybody really likes stats uh, as long as it supports what you think. But then, is, or, or the team that you that, that you support. But as soon as like it contradicts or it, it sort of uh, goes against the, the the thinking that you have, then then sort of the the pitchforks come. So, um, have you had those kind of experiences uh, where where somebody really came after you, and and how do you deal with them? Um, let me just talk about that first. Yeah, I I definitely have had had those experiences. That was probably more to just talking crap on Twitter than actually anything anything <laughs> professional related. Um, but I, I definitely do feel there are situations where, say we have a writer who's doing a piece and they found a stat which really backs their argument. And you know it's one of those where like there's no real context and and it's very much like a kind of lies and statistics based thing where it's it's not really backed in truth, maybe doesn't mean exactly what they think it means. So there's a certain amount of balancing in the day-to-day -to, -day to try and turn them away from that and then using more reliable stats really uh -huh. and then like how does one go about that right because i think um there's like this is something that's something that i struggle with sometimes in in terms of so like I, I'm, I'm, i'm on uh, television and 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 obviously working in hungary the the space in terms of data literacy is is probably a little different to say what what germany is and constantine can, can tell you more about that but or, or the uk as well and, and like so so we you know We'll still people like we'll still get the the possession stats and we'll still get the you know the shots and 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 then so then I, and I I'm always saying well why don't we just use you know chance quality or xg or some of these other things or or even like the the clean sheets one is the other one that I think I we always get into and like how does one like. And maybe I'm asking this question for myself as for you, but how does one sort of, you know, keep, keep, uh, keep like, uh, keep at it, you know, keeping, keeps on keeping at it. Uh, 
and and uh, fight fighting the good fight, or or what do you have to do? Yeah, I guess with with our it's a slightly different medium, right? Like I've got I have more words to play with, and you've got a mm -hmm. finite amount of time, right? But I always feel <laughs> yeah. with those situations, it's probably more like if you can find an example of where the stat which the person's using kind of doesn't work or it breaks down, and then you in introduce the next stat as the reason why it's a good solution. That's a good way to kind of sell it. And the way with I always do that with XG would be like I found a game in the Opta database where there was like 12 shots for each side and but one dominated if you watch the quality of them one was far higher than the other and then you know you could say oh look you know you can't use the shot count because they aren't of equal quality and then you go to the shot maps and you see one teams had like 2.4 xg and the others had 0.6 or something like that so i feel there's probably similar situations you can find with with clean sheets and why save percentage or goals prevented or whatever it is is a, a better example in a, a situation like that so when it comes to using data, especially, you know, the data being used by um, journalists to just take something more general, um, you know, like the, I don't know, assists and uh, possession, maybe I um, I'm sometimes worried about how they maybe might abuse in a way, even even data or might, you know, show uh, by the way, I'm, I'm using data, you know, but I, I'm pointing something out I wanted to point out anyway. And I just just saw a discussion uh, maybe yesterday or so uh, on Twitter. It was about Thiago and Liverpool, and it was pointed out that I think he hasn't created any assists so so far uh, for Liverpool during the season. Um, and then someone pointed out, yeah, but you you shouldn't look at assist numbers with Thiago because I guess he has a lot of pre-assists maybe, but also he's he's in, you know much more of a deep lying midfielder at times. Um, so just in general, but also you have to look at ball recovery and 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 um pro progression distance you know progression passing and so on like you know other data uh yeah. points at least um but then the counter argument was and i wanted to just get your take on it and what, what you like like how you look at these kind of discussions the counterpoint was so uh tiago was success so far or has been a success at liverpool so far was the counter argument basically and then you have to say no, of course not. Hmm. I mean, I think he hasn't been as bad as some people make him out to be, but still, uh, you can't really call him a success. Otherwise, I mean, that's just not working in any way. Uh, so, but, but what do you make of some such discussions? Uh, because someone sometimes they drive me crazy, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I've had a or seen a fair few of the similar types of that, and it always just feels like. Yeah, you can never boil performance down to a single number, right? Even goals at times isn't a really great measure of of a player's contribution. I think you look at Hoyman's on this season, obviously he's scored a ton of goals, but his all-round game isn't very good. So you could look at goals and say, fantastic. Pressure from Vertonghen. Can't bring it down. And uh, it's general terror in the Burnley back line when Son breaks forward. Oh, wow, what a run. Hyunmin Son from inside his own half has scored one of the best goals of his Spurs career. You look at everything but goals and you say, this guy maybe isn't isn't as good as we think. I always view it through the kind of scouting lens of like, what is this player's role? Like, what is he asked to do? And and is he fulfilling um, those things of, of essentially what's, what's on his job description and does he do those things well, right? And then how do we measure those? And I think that that is something that people are starting to get a better understanding of the nuance behind, you know, assists isn't a great number for midfielders, tackles isn't a great number for defenders. Um, you know, at times for, for attackers, if they're not offering something off the ball or against the ball, I guess, um, then that's, you know, are they doing enough of their job? So I think it's probably just more opening the argument up and saying, like, look, 
this is what's actually asked of him. Is he doing those things instead? So it's probably just a, an understanding of a wider num- wider group of numbers, um, which can actually get you closer to what the player's trying to bring to the team. Yeah, and then there are also some journalists, but also, you know, on social media, just fans or so that are some somewhat hostile towards just data because they think, yeah, and it's like they, they are going by the old Churchill saying, basically, you know, don't trust any data unless you, I know, have faked it or something. Uh, I just know, I just noticed saying in German, but I guess uh, so, something like that. So uh, they, they just oppose everything that, that relates to data, you know, that's like the eye test is, is all that, that matters. And, and then they, of course, as per, you know, as it is it quite usual in many fields, you know, be it in politics, be it in sports, be it everywhere, they've tried to find something, some something that proves their point, basically. And you see that the same with data. You got some anomalies, um, be it Lucien Favre as a coach in the Bundesliga and the XG model, which he you know, outperforms every season, basically, or be it Nabi Keita. Uh, for Liverpool, where you looked at his numbers and he was a world beater and then it didn't work for for Liverpool and, and stuff like that. So where basically data got someone or something wrong, wrong, I, I in quotation mark, of course, uh, on air quotes. Um, so what's your kind of take on that when you when you see something like that, that, that someone points out, hey, by the way, the XG model doesn't work because look at Lucien Favre and look at these two other coaches in Europe or something. I mean, I know that's like sometimes a bad faith argument, but still... Also, you have to counter with something there because it just, you know, just leave it there. It's also might not work actually in a, in a public discussion. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's always there's always outliers in these situations, right? Like the models are usually turning towards an average and they're turning towards what the average of a bunch of teams of shots have done. And there will be those who are consistently below average and those are consistently above. And I think Faber is one of the, yeah, like you say, very few who has done. Um, but I, I just think in general, I mean, there's, there's two schools of thought and it really depends on who you're talking to. There are certain people who are so dogmatic towards data being wrong or data being useless that they're, and they're so anchored to that belief that they ignore the fact that Liverpool have used data for years at this point to, to sign players. And, you know, some people you just can't debate with them the fact that they got... Genie Wijnaldum, right. They got Robertson, right. They got Salah, right. They got Mane, right. Like data was part of the process for every single one of those players. And you can, they can easily just anchor on Thiago and saying he's not come good yet as the reason for data being rubbish. So um, I don't know. It's, uh, I feel we're all, we've all kind of like learnt to over time, like how we best deal and work with social media. And I guess my heuristic is very much like you have a finite amount of energy, focus and attention in a day. And there are certain things that if you can't change someone's mind, is it a uh, a good investment of time, let's say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as, as someone who's had those kind of debates on air or or, or could have had potential those potentially those debates, I, I always just tend to lean towards the uh, shying away and the politeness, which which is always which is always a good a good way to yeah. To I kind mean, of, I, uh, I guess there can be fireworks in that time, and it's good for viewing figures, but um, maybe not the. Uh, the viewing figures for what the uh, you know the reader the, or the viewer that you want to entertain uh, what they're coming yeah, from. Yeah, and I'm and I'm usually like what you said is that some people you just can't convince no matter what, and then like I usually don't 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 try to. And I think I think that's an interesting like discussion as as well um, because like what I wanted to come back to um, um, when you were talking about the the media and 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 coaching and because I, I have this idea and I think I've, I talked with people about this that. A lot of the, a lot of the the stuff uh, that and it's just the origins of data analytics. I mean, you know, let's say like the way Opta started out, uh, it was not necessarily designed for for the game. It was more necessarily designed for media collection purposes. 
Um, and I think there, there, there could be, I don't want to see if you agree with this, but there could be the seeds of the disconnect between between these these kind of, of of levels of talking about data and the discourse that we have is that that sometimes um, we're we're looking at it more from a media perspective as opposed to we're looking at it from the footballing perspective and and we're we're fitting the data to 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 have the the audience understand it and of course that's necessary but but in some cases like with definitions or with what's important like I think I think just just if if we just maybe turn that around and then say let's ask a thousand football coaches. Who have been practitioners in this space for for you know years and, and whatnot, and get them to to get, like, give us ten metrics that that you that you think are important, and and instead of instead of like you know some guy with a million Twitter followers or a journalist who's been there for let, uh, a major outlet or whatever, and and, and shouting about possession is bad because I I just feel like we're just we're just not moving past in that sense. Like, what do you what do you think about this? Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. Like, if we think about it, Opta are obviously huge pioneers in terms of like the growth of event data and the spread of it to, to media clients and and pro clients. But there was a point where, you know, Opta people were sat in the offices in like the early or the late nineties and deciding what the metrics are, and those metrics have then come to completely dominate all football statistical discourse for all these years, and we're all kind of like living the effects of those decisions that were made. So. Yeah, you know, someone's decided what a three ball is, what a cross is. Well, you know, pass completion is is something that everyone has heard of and knows, but they actually don't always realise that it's maybe not a perfect measure. So, I definitely think it's it's interesting, and we're starting to slowly move to, away from the fact that like those definitions are never perfect, or you know, certain stats don't measure what you you think they do. Um, but I just always come back to the fact that there's no like there's no silver bullet number in football to measure anything. Like there's always context to be involved, and I think that's you can use more numbers to round your argument. But you know things like pass completion rate, you're not adjusting for difficulty of passes or things like that, which again is a, another number to, um, to to add that in there. So yeah, it's um, it's interesting to see, and now we're seeing you know people like Statsbomb who are going to start doing more media stuff, and they're obviously totally geared towards the pro market and measuring the game arguably in a more coach specific direction um so whether that that change in the coming years will definitely be interesting to to see yeah i mean and then um to to kind of uh piggyback on that and and uh, getting into kind of maybe the future things and because we talked a lot about the event data things which which i think has more or less dominated certainly the early versions of analytics but um, now, if you if you look at the space, and obviously you you, you work in the space, and and, and uh, Constantine and I mostly just use these 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 data sets, and it seems like it's it's been going towards the tracking data part of it, and um, maybe I mean I know we had like this similar sort of discussion with with David Sumter, who was on our, I guess I guess earlier, but um, where do you see that uh, in in the media coverage because. I, I like just to give up an example, like I know it was in your Ten Commandments piece, like people use distance covered and sprints, like in, in Germany, for example, the, the duels. Wie reagiert die Eintracht jetzt? 67. Minute und aufgepasst. Was um Himmels Willen macht Alexander Nübel? Das ist eine der rotesten Karten der jüngeren Bundesliga-Geschichte. Ein Einsteigen wie aus einem Kung-Fu-Film. But like, how does how does tracking data work in the media space, or how do you think there could be better ways to utilize that? 
Yeah, the interesting thing with with tracking, I guess, like with event data, it's kind of uniform across all the leagues, right? Like you've got one or two suppliers and the suppliers give the same tools to everyone and there's kind of this, um, I guess, similar use cases or similar types of use of, of these this data. Whereas with tracking data, like there's a league deal for each league. It's independent of the tracking data. There's a bunch of different suppliers. There's a bunch of different ways they productize it and pull it together. And for that reason, it's just much more of a minefield that you're at the mercy of of the companies that partner with the tracking suppliers to offer it in a neat and nice way for the media to use it and things like that. So I think that's a barrier to entry for the start because you might not have uniformity of metrics across across leagues, things like that. I guess if you've got a, a broadcaster where you covered loads of different leagues, unless you have kind of a third party offering that tracking data, you you know, you have I don't know, stats doing Liga and, and Second Spectrum doing Premier League and um I'm not sure who's got the maybe Karen Hager have got the German deal. So yeah, loads of, of issues kind of on the supply side there. But um I think we'll maybe see it more and more where people will go down the stats one route and they'll kind of you know get tracking data through um computer vision and through kind of capturing frames and, and getting kind of implied tracking data through there and anyone you speak to in clubs it's it, that's just a far easier way for them to work with this stuff than having to kind of merge masses of of frames and things on their end with the raw tracking data from from leagues and things like that so um there's been this kind of shift i guess in terms of like the holy grail of analytics to start with or when i was getting into it, it was like let's merge tracking event data and you have the best data sets ever right and then everyone realized that's the most complex and annoying and difficult task on the planet let's just change the way we we collect the data in the first place and and go from that angle instead and like one of your recent pieces to to, to talk about some of your your your, your work on hand is, has been about crossing and um and i think um one of the good ways to think about analytics is asking more questions than than, than giving answers i think that's it's a good way to frame it and so so you 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 wrote this piece and i, I think cross crossing in general has been like a kind of a better noir of of analytics that, that people like to to uh, criticize and the players to cross a lot, and then I, and, and and you have some of those uh, numbers from it that it, you know you average cross from open play gets you like 1.3 percent of the time a goal, and so one in 76. And then you you talked about the um, the, the the percentages of, of if you if you go to a six second window after after the cross goes to one in 50, and like what was the origin of that piece or why did you like, what made you think about crosses in the way and then how did you come about thinking about that? Yeah. So I guess it's twofold. The first was I, I did a piece last season about different types of passes and crosses were kind of always something that I thought, you know, this type of analysis really lends itself to nicely and is arguably better focused on because passes, there's just so many different types, right? Like I made a model and I had 50 types, but you could probably have far more than that. And passing is kind of, messy because they're the most um most common event on a football pitch um really so it, it was a kind of natural extension from that and i was heavily inspired by um the late gary gillard who was a kind of pioneer in, in analytics and he did a piece at the Optipro forum a few years ago um and kind of saw his approach and i wasn't too hot, hot on it but i liked some of the things that he did and i just trying to change it slightly and um yeah, you kind of borrowed the idea of a, of an extended window and, and things like that and, and yeah, kind of do the same sort of approach. Now, Gary's piece, I think, looked at cross-end locations as well, which I can think can get a bit a bit iffy because of the way that end locations are coded. If I 
I'm aiming for Constantine in the box and I actually hit the corner flag on the other side, that's where the end location will go, right? And it's not maybe where I was aiming for my cross or, or hopefully not. Um, otherwise, I need my head checking. So, um, yeah, it's uh, that, that was the approach really. And it's been a, you know, I had a ton of good feedback, which is always nice, but I actually had a, an Instagram post sent to me this morning of some school in uh, in Melbourne, in Australia, who um, were reviewing their recent, the crosses from their recent game in line with kind of the, the charts that I made for the piece, which was a, uh, which was quite fun to see kind of analysis and uh, being used in the wild. Have you gotten those kinds of feedbacks from, from players or coaches or is that, I mean, to the extent that you can talk about it? I mean, I know you, you work with uh, like practitioners in the space who, who will be at club as, as, as you, as you, um, were once thinking about it, but, but do you get that or how often do you get that and what, what's generally the feedback? Yeah, I guess less on the player and coach side, just because I mean access for that is is a killer. But um, definitely a lot of kind of scouts, analysts, analytics guys at clubs. Um, it's a pretty small circle of people, and, and we talk a lot and share ideas and things. So there's a yeah, there was a lot a lot from that, which is interesting. And kind of some you know there were some clubs who were kind of saying one analyst was saying that they use a similar analysis and it informs their training and they actually go on the pitch and draw the crossing zones with like the spray and then look at building. Um, training patterns that they can then look to cross from those locations which they think are kind of the good locations for them so that was really cool to see like how in you know in clubland how data actually informs training which informs the game model which informs how you watch the team play on a saturday that that's interesting and i actually actually wanted to ask you and more in a um more in a, in a way that i wasn't i was wondering if however actually uh, because we have we have talked about crossing and the inefficiency of crossing for so long there's of course this uh, famous manchester united match against i think fulham or something where they had yeah. like i know they one need, billion crosses and yeah. 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 nothing happened and like uh accuracy of one point something percent or five point something percent who knows but it was really there wasn't any any uh output uh, any shooting output uh, coming out of it and they just crossed and crossed and crossed and crossed and just <laughs> in a way it's also kind of boring at some point you know I, I think uh, I think in the 90s or so people thought like crossing and like high speed you know wing plays or something that's exciting uh, but you know if you do it over and over again it becomes also boring uh, but but actually just just one remark I want to do before before I ask you something uh, I I also kind of happy that now we have all these all these things we can do to to track down crossings or to track down our things and to analyze them over a course of time because I remember when I couple couple of years ago started out as a tactics blogger I just I sometimes watched I, I think at one point I watched all the Atletico Madrid matches and just uh, just paused at every shot and every cross and then just trod on on a on a map and then I, that was basically my data analytics over the course of one season of Atletico Madrid so. Uh, that was that, that took a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, but but back to the topic. I, I'm I still wanted to ask you because like we, we have talked about it, and I mean there have some people, as you pointed out, have analyzed crossing and efficiency, but still, and maybe that's like just you know my eye test now, and maybe I'm wrong, but I I still think like has there anything changed in the crossing game, uh, or is it still a kind of the same that was five years ago and even ten years ago? I mean there are some outliers, but that comes from like accurate crosses or like outstanding crosses or something or just you know a, a kind of a technique that's also maybe different you know charisma or something like Carter charisma or other people but in general you think like no nothing has changed so uh, so there's like yeah are clubs changing have you seen any from your analytics any any changes in crossing or is it still the same in a way and like we have to wait another 10 years before there are actually adjustments 
Yeah, so I mean, we saw it in the base numbers in the article where the number of crosses have come down. But um, in terms of the way that clubs kind of approached this, I think this is one of the interesting areas where they're using the tracking and the event data because clubs will now look at kind of number of bodies in the box or is there a way that they can train or measure movement in the window kind of proceeding and following across uh, and kind of tweaking how players react in certain situations. And I think that is where, um, you know, they'll get more efficient from from crossing at times or there's like a, a thinking behind the strategy of crossing. Um, I mean, you see it with, with Liverpool use crossing so much and there was a, a time when Man City, um, when they'd go behind or struggling against a deep defence, they'd also use crossing to kind of, uh, I think they were trying to profit off off like rebounds and stuff uh, and things like that. But then on the flip side, you have kind of the, the Arteta approach, which felt like the, the Fulham game when I watched it early in the season. I can't remember who Arsenal were playing. Maybe it was Wolves. And there was just kind of you know, I think Arteta referred to it as pure maths that, you know, the more crosses you put in, the more goals you'll score. It's, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, I think it's the first time in the Premier League that we put 33 crosses. I'm telling you, if we do that more consistently, we're going to score more goals. If we put the bodies that we had in certain moments in the game in that box, it's maths, pure maths. And, and even that, I mean, there's a, a great, I mean, one of the kind of definitive, definitive even... Um, basketball analytics pieces by a guy called Seth Partnow. He wrote this for Vice a few years ago, I think, and it was kind of an argument of why like not shooting twos and always shooting threes is actually a bad idea. And it's because teams would always kind of look to... Um, they maybe get a, a good look from within the three-point line, but they they give it away to go for a three-point shot that was ultimately a lot harder um, at the the cost of this, you know, essentially this two-pointer. And I think that there is that situation with crosses as well where... Um, you know, teams will cross from certain areas thinking, you know, we'll, we'll score one in 33. So if we put 33 crosses in, we'll score a goal. It's like, well, you know, that's on average. It's not on, it's not on kind of, if you hit that number, you just, a goal appears out of nowhere, right? Um, so no, there's a lot more kind of in-depth study that teams do. And I don't think we hear too much about it, but they definitely are are zooming in under the microscope of these different areas and how they can, can influence training in the way that, that teams play as well. So, and, and where, I mean, the, the crossing is something, as I mentioned, that has been discussed um, for a couple of years and also, of course, great that you have added something to it. And I think like, that's also something I, I enjoy. It's uh, not only athletic, but there are other, others, as you mentioned, other outlets and, and other analysts um, slash journalists uh, who are adding to it. And, and there's always something new to, uh, to explore in a way, uh, even if, you know, if you sometimes think, oh, I've already read. Uh, stuff about crossing but then i read your article and, oh there's actually new stuff or or even just just things i was remembered or reminded of uh um what i maybe read or heard somewhere but you know it's it's always nice that, the, that these discussions are advancing in a way um and it's the same with throw-ins it's the same with passing it's the same with shooting and and efficiencies and and all this there are a thousand things you can can talk about the same with tracking data i guess in, in a way mechanical data um so and, and, it's, and it's always hard. And I sometimes get asked about like, what's the next tactical revolution that I never have an answer. Uh, but but do you see anything um, in the in the media data analytics sphere, but also in the in the just you know football sphere uh, when it comes to data analytics that hasn't that has been underexplored, and maybe there is something that will be where we we'll see more pieces, more conference papers, and so on uh, in the next couple of years, the next few years, maybe? Is there something where you see on the horizon that, that's still underexplored? 
Yeah, I think I always think conference papers are probably a couple of years ahead and we're, we're playing catch up in the media. But um, I think the whole suite of kind of possession value, expected threats, these kind of, I guess, value metrics, which look to give a value to every single action on the pitch of how likely they are to increase or decrease the chance of scoring. I really don't think that there's been enough media uptake in those and, and and kind of giving credit to players who are just good at receiving, good at progressing the ball upfield. Um, the, it's the kind of metric that would show fans that, you know, Granit Xhaka is actually a very good ball progressor. Uh, and, and Thiago, again, is another example of where he's actually useful. So there's a ton of ways that, that you know, you can dice that. You can look at it in terms of in the box score. Can we look to measure opportunities to score and not just shots and goals, but were there times where we got on a high value situation but didn't create a shot from it something like that um and also yeah i mean ball progression as well which i mentioned is a is a huge thing so we've used it a little bit on the site i mean we have access to to smarter scout and we have a good relationship with um with them and they have a, a ball progression metric which is yeah similar to those if you move the ball into a higher value area you get more um, reward you know you've helped your team hopefully score more in the future um and that's something we're going to kind of look into a bit more because you can split that down into passing carrying if you're tackling high up all that all that stuff so um yeah, for me, that's a that's an interesting one to get into, and and people always ask me, you know, what's beyond XG, um, and I think that that could be the one for now, at least, until we have uh, until we have a model that's completely solved football. I think that's probably the uh, the next closest thing we've got. Now, before we let you go, I mean, there was there was recent articles about uh, Kevin De Bruyne signing with um, or re-signing, extending his contract with Manchester City, and actually not really relying on on just an agent um although you need still lawyers and everything but but still uh you know to to kind of uh know about his value you actually use data analysts um uh, so i mean right now you're at the athletic and the athletic is of course a great media organization so is there a second career for you in agenting um just um <laughs> being an agent for the kevin de Bruyne's of the world and just helping them to squeeze out a <laughs> couple of millions out of the clubs yeah, that, I mean, it could be very lucrative. I remember chatting to a few scouts about it a few years ago, and you know, they were like, you know, we could use this in, in play contract negotiations because of signing on fees. And I thought, I thought nothing of it. It wouldn't go anywhere. And then you see the De Bruyne thing, and you see the figures, and you're like, okay, maybe, I, maybe I made the the bad decision at that point. But um, yeah, this will become a larger part of the way that players go about finding new clubs and getting the you know more new contracts and better contracts and things like that. So. Um, there's definitely a market for it because as as we as consumers are learning more about the numbers in the game, the players are doing it too. I mean, I was in, in Manchester last week interviewing a, a, essentially an England international about his data um, and he was so switched on and knew everything about it. We were talking about expected goals. He was saying that he wasn't, you know, he needs to get into better scoring positions because he's seen his data and knows that he scored a lot in the past, but he won't be able to replicate it in the future and things like that. So it's, uh, yeah, the game will move more and more towards that point. And I think the, the De Bruyne deal is probably a good milestone um, uh, of that, really. Yeah, and as the game is progressing, you're, of course, uh, on, on on the cutting edge of, of what's uh, going on in data and analytics. So, uh, Tom, it was um, really great to have you on our show. It was an enjoyable discussion. Thank you for your time. Yeah, no worries. Great to talk to you guys. Thank you so much, Tom. Tom is at Vorville on Twitter, and um, I'm kind of jealous because I, I actually wanted to have the at my surname on Twitter, and, and someone is using it, but, but not really using it. And it's just, you know, there, but... It's kind of that, so <laughs> kind of jealous there. <laughs> so well, you, well, well, I don't know what the policy is. Is it ten years of of no use, and Twitter will uh, will open it up again? So I have to check yeah. that actually. Um, I'll have yeah. to get. I'll, 
I'll get there in first, Constantine, and then you can buy off me. That's how, uh, that's how we can do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I see. I see. <laughs> now that you can't, can't make money with, with uh, Agent in Kevin De Bruyne, you have to find our race. <laughs> other avenues. Exactly. Still. Far no. less lucrative, but uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I give you a 10 bucks. All right. <laughs> so um, to wrap this up, Thomas at Volvo and on Twitter, Abel is at BundesPL. I'm CC underscore Eckner on Twitter. And if you want to support us, please visit patreon.com slash the football pod. And for now, we have three words left for you. We are out. <laughs>